The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome to the Rebel Podcast. Uh, normally, you're used to hearing Chris's sultry voice uh, to start off the podcast, but instead, it's P. Nate coming to you from Garage Mahal. And uh, though I'm alone in the studio, uh, we are joined via technology by Erica Van Brimmer of the Awakening Reformation Podcast. How you doing, Erica? Pretty good. It's good to have you on here, filling the role of Chris. Those are some big shoes to fill. They are big shoes to fill. They're wide shoes to fill. Um, <laughs> actually, I, I'll, start, I'll start off by telling a funny story about Chris. So Chris, um, one day, me and Chris and, and our wives are hanging out, and uh, Chris is talking about how wide his feet are. Don't ask me how we got onto such a topic. Those things just naturally happen when Chris is around. Of course. And um, he was talking about how he wears eight and a half uh, size shoes. Maybe it was nine and a half. I can't remember. And I remember making a comment, uh, and he said half because of, uh, because I have wide feet and kind of the conversation went for a few seconds. And then I was like, wait a sec, sorry, what, what do you mean by eight and a half? Because you have wide feet. And he says, well, you know how like eight and eight and a half, the same size, just one of them is wide. I was like, no, that's, that's not a thing, Chris. <laughs> and it literally took the rest of us like 10 minutes to convince Chris with the help of Google that the half sizes aren't for wider feet. It's actually just a, a bigger shoe. Chris didn't know that. He was, I mean, close to 40 years old. So the things you don't learn sometimes. Did he go to public school? <laughs> he, did go to, he did go to public school. That's a great point. Okay. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Shots, shots fired, Chris. Shots fired. <laughs> Unfortunately, okay. So what we're doing is we're doing the um, the host swap. This isn't just a beat up on Pootie time. Uh, we're we're actually swapping hosts uh, with our friends over at the Awakening Reformation Podcast. So we're uh, I recorded with Grant, and I'm recording here with Erica. Mm-hmm. Chris is going to be recording with Grant and with Erica. So you'll get um, some of the rebels on Awakening Reformation, some of the Awakening Reformation uh, folks on uh, Rebel Podcast. So we're just uh, we're just mashing it up. And uh, unfortunately, now we're we're actually going first. So Chris is going to get us back, I'm sure, for any of the shots that we just took. So we'll have to anticipate that. But uh, we're excited to do this. <laughs> uh, so we are the Rebel Podcast, and uh, and this is the Rebel Podcast, but we're part of the Rebel Alliance Media, which is where Awakening Reformation, Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids, and um, the Podcast for Cultural Re- Reformation are all hosted. Lots of podcasts, lots of blogs. Um, study guides, videos, cultural engagement videos. Mm-hmm. There's lots of stuff. So check out, uh, where can they find that stuff, Erica? 
at rebelalliancemedia.com. Nice. There you go. I know the answer to that one. (laughs) And if you want to give back to the show, the shows and and our content is always going to be free. But for those of you who want to support the ministry, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash rebelalliance. And we're very thankful for our our patrons because it meant that we got to do things like the Eschatology 201 series uh, that's just wrapping up. And uh, and keep an eye out for uh, the Q&A follow-up because we have a special guest who's going to be uh, joining us for that. So anyway, lots of great stuff coming out of Rebel Alliance Media these days, and it's all thanks to you. So thanks for listening. Thanks for the, uh, the support, and thanks for the comments, the likes, the shares, because that's all online currency as well. So how are you doing, Erica? I'm doing well. Thanks. For, how are you, Nate? I'm doing great. Um, <laughs> thanks for taking a break from uh, homeschooling and, uh, and doing all those things so that we can record on this wonderful afternoon. Sure thing. Um, we are going to jump into some Rebel news. Uh, but before we do, we're actually going to take a break because we have uh, some partners some friends who uh, want us to run an ad. So uh, here, listen to this ad, and we'll be right back with some exciting Rebel news coming to you from P8 and The Weaker Vessel. Join Bible Discovery TV at Answers in Genesis Gospel Reset Mega Conference this November 20th to 22nd at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Niagara Falls. Come be equipped by apologist and evangelist and a PhD scientist, including the founder of Answers in Genesis and the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter, Mr. Ken Ham. Don't miss out on this faith-building event. Go to AnswersInGenesis.org website for information and registration. Erica, we are back, and uh, today is a special day because we get to do Rebel News with uh, with somebody different. Normally, people get uh, Chris and I's opinion on the news, but today, uh, all our wonderful listeners get to hear from uh, the mind of Erica Van Brimmer, Awakening Reformation Podcast's weaker vessel, on what she thinks of the news. So, uh, I have one for you. So, right now, uh, as we said earlier, it's in the middle of the afternoon, which means right now you would be uh, doing some homeschool stuff with your kiddos. You have three kids. Correct. Uh, mm-hmm. I think five to nine. Is that right? Um, six, eight, and nine. Six, eight, and nine. There you go. Uh, mm-hmm. Wonderful kids. They're homeschooled, which is why they know that half sizes aren't for wider feet. <laughs> um, and uh, but here's here's some disconcerting news. So I don't know if you've heard this um, yet, Erica. But uh, so the uh, the Labour Party in uh, the UK in in Britain. Uh, the Labour Party, which has been getting been getting more and more socialistic, um, their platform that they're running on right now is actually for the abolishment of uh, all private schools. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I know that when you and Grant, you guys are doing a great uh, series right now on Awakening Reformation, talking about public school. Uh, well, sorry, you guys are talking about uncovering the origins, and you've kind of gone through Planned Parenthood, you've gone through uh, Child Protective Services, and right now you're going through public, the public education system on some mm-hmm. of these secular organizations and how they affect uh, Christians' lives. 
And, uh, and you guys, I think, talked about where there are places where homeschooling is actually illegal, Germany being one of those places. And so it's interesting to see there are some things that came out from Bernie Sanders recently in the American uh, election about um, the, uh, the gap between the rich and the poor that private schools create as well. And though he hasn't said anything policy-wise, um, a lot of Christians kind of got their ears up about that as well. So, so there's this kind of movement from a lot of the socialistic parties around the globe um, uh, attacking private schools. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's terrifying. Absolutely. Like it instantly yeah. makes me think of like what were they called the Hitler Youth or something yeah. like that. Yeah, that's right. Where um, like Hitler knew if you could control the youth, you could control society essentially yep and um that's initially where my mind goes to that um that we should be scared this Mm. is not for the good of society this is typically for the good of an individual or an organization and i would wonder what play is trying to uh in a backdoor way be run so um you guys are doing a, a podcast series right now, like I said, about uncovering the origins. And you've, you've done, you kind of opened up a can of worms with the public education ones because there's just so much information. Mm-hmm. But yeah. for maybe some of our listeners who listen to the Rebel Podcast who haven't, for one crazy reason or another, made their <laughs> way over to listening to you guys, um, kind of give us a snapshot of some of the things that you've uncovered and why you know, um, the push for uh, liberal parties around the world uh, to get kids into the public education. What's behind that that some Christians don't know and they should? Like, talk about some um, of those origins that you guys have uncovered. That's a pretty deep well, but we're, we'll try to... If you, we'll try to... If you ramble uh, on and maybe, on, we'll just edit it. <laughs> okay, that's fine. We might have to do that. So the public education system in America, I'm not really up to date on how Canadians um, educate their children so much, but I'm sure it's similar. Yeah, it's actually a couple of guys who uh, were really impressed and kind of fawning over uh, Dewey. Uh, So it's it's got a lot of the same roots. Yeah, so same thing. So it's like the Prussian education model of um, basically in Prussia, they wanted to control their society and they realized the most effective way of doing that was by making uh, education compulsory and by allowing the government to educate the youth. And they could do that by making the children realize that the whole of society was what they were working towards to to better the um, nation as a whole rather than the individual. And so the education became very much um, socialistic and humanistic and education for the individual kind of took a backseat and it's very much the same in america nowadays and i'm sure in canada too Um, that's why children really aren't catered to so much in the classroom it's they're kind of like pushed through grades there really isn't much testing done outside of you know the mandatory testing so I don't know what else you want me to say about that. No, no, yeah. It's it's pretty uh, dark. It is dark. And I think one of the things that um, for some of the conversations that I've had after listening to your episode with some people who are are public school advocates um, is, you know, the first reaction, I don't know how how much of this sort of uh, reaction you guys have gotten about, like, just take off the tinfoil hats. Not everything is as sinister as you think. 
And, mm-hmm. and so I just want to, I, I want to stress that it's not, it's, it's not that the people involved were super sinister, though I think they were, but you can see where mm-hmm. it came from. So, so what, it, where it came from wasn't just a, Hey, we want to control the youth because we want to control society. Cause we're, you know, right. we're, we're horrible people who just want a, a bunch of puppets to pull the strings on. Well, they had recognized that they had been losing wars and a bunch of, um, psychologists, uh, realized that one of the reasons their armies kept losing wars is because the individuals within their their armies weren't willing to give their lives for their country um and and yet those same people were willing they had far more affection for their family units and so there was this sort of well if we can get people to feel about the state about their country what they feel about their family then um we'll do better in wars we'll be able to protect ourselves and our country will thrive so that's sort of where it came from and even though that might not seem Mm -hmm. sinister on the surface what it did was it kind of replaced the family as the bedrock of society, which we would say is a very biblical view, mm-hmm. um, to saying, no, 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 the state is central, which is why all these years later, we've gotten to the point where the state can now take uh, kids away from families that they deem unfit. They can tell you what vaccines to use, how to educate, how not to educate, mm-hmm. what you can and can't do with your own children. And, and that's, that would have been unthinkable before public school became the norm. Right. And I think we don't know a lot. Like Americans especially are very ignorant, um, probably because the same education system that they should be questioning and and challenging is the one that told them, hey, you know, don't don't do any investigating. Don't look at us. Don't um, try and uncover our intentions here. So a lot of Americans will just say, like, I went to public school and I turned out fine. Right. Like, look at me. I can add. I can read. So I'm fine. My kids will be just fine, too. But interestingly enough, the one comment that I get from people once they find out that I homeschool is typically, wow, that's so great. I can't believe you can homeschool three kids. I could never do that because I'm just not smart enough. Right. And I'm just always thinking, like, you're not smart enough because you went to a public school. So why would you turn around then and turn your (laughs) turn your child loose in that same school? That doesn't make any sense to me. Right. What would you say, just as a, that we're kind of getting off topic or, or getting down a bunny trail, but it's a, it's an important one. What would you say to the um, the the moms out there who might listen to your podcast, might listen to our podcast, might feel convicted about uh, the way the kids are getting educated right now, but have that mentality? I I'm you know I don't have a teaching degree. I you know I I didn't thrive in school. Uh, I don't have mm-hmm. the gift, the you know the spiritual gift of teaching. I can't educate mm-hmm. my kids. What would you say to that mom? Um, I would just tell her that oftentimes the things that God calls us to are not things that we feel like we can do. And if you feel convicted that it's something you need to do, then I think that you need to seriously consider it and pray that God would give you the ability. And there are so many resources nowadays that it really isn't as daunting as it might seem. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we, we often use phrases in Christian circles like, you know, if God calls you to do something, he equips you for the task. And a lot of moms might roll their eyes at that thinking, well, you know, how, how is he going to just change my entire mm-hmm. character, change, you know, my intellectual capacities, change my giftings, whatever. Right. Well, it does t- require effort, right? It's like, it's like when we pray to God for patience, he doesn't zap us with a whole lot of patience. He gives right. us opportunities to cultivate patience because he's going to put us in situations that require patience. So therefore, right. if, you know, if a mom is, is looking to become equipped to do this, 
then you need to find resources in order to equip you because the the equipping isn't zapped into you. <laughs> it's, uh, right. it's, it's cultivated, right? Right. So. And so then how do you, um, how does a Christian impact the secular culture that would say we should stop homeschooling, we should stop allowing families to put their kids in private schools? I would say the best case scenario is that mothers who are raising and homeschooling godly sons and maybe daughters will um, grow up and then get into politics. They, they can change the policies. They can influence culture in a godly way. Amen. So for even a Christian mother to say, well, I can't, maybe, maybe you aren't gifted in like algebra. Maybe that is really scary for you to think about teaching your child geometry or something like that. But I always like stop and ask myself, what is the most important thing for me as a parent to teach my child? And it really is just the fear of the Lord. Right. Like God can handle the rest and right. he has been more than faithful to do that. But for a parent, we should be thinking, how can we change culture? How can we reverse these ungodly laws and these ungodly policies? It's by raising up godly children who are going to go into the world and hopefully impact change. Absolutely. Amen. That's good. Um, and, uh, and we, just as you said there, the most important thing a, a parent can do is to instill the fear of the Lord in them. And then let's let's actually believe when the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? That right. If, a, if a public school isn't going to teach that, which it will not, then all the other wisdom is foolishness, right? It, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's moot. It's, uh, it's contrary to God because uh, wisdom has to start there, has to start with the fear of the Lord. Okay. So um, I feel like we could talk about that topic all day, but let's uh, <laughs> let's zig a little and then we'll zag. Um, but as we zig, let's zig into um, a kind of a, an interesting story. So Mattel is the um, uh, is the company that that does Barbie that owns Barbie owns owns a bunch. It's a it's a toy company, Mattel Toys, um, but they own uh, the rights to Barbie, which has been a, a, a huge uh a huge thing for a lot of years. Um, and so just recently there was a, um, an announcement that Mattel was going to be rolling out all of their dolls now are going to be including, so whatever new line of dolls, Barbie dolls uh, are coming out, are going to include gender neutral dolls. Um, so, uh, in, so interestingly, this is, this is what they said. They said, um, uh, we noticed that uh, both in kids in the culture and the culture at large are moving towards an acceptance and an understanding of gender neutrality. Therefore, we wanted the toys to reflect the world that the kids using them are going to be growing up in. So <laughs> if it's not trying to um, educate or if it's not trying to control the narrative with our children through education, um, they're also doing it in uh, the toys that our kids are using. What are your thoughts on that one, Erica? I think Mattel is brilliant. This is like virtue signaling at its finest, right? Totally. But what's funny is that how many boys are going to be racing into the Barbie aisle to buy a transgendered Barbie? Right. Probably not many. No. Like you still can't. You still can't change that little boys typically will not love dolls and little girls typically do love dolls. Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of built in kids mostly. And so I have three kids and my son is squished in the middle of two sisters. And so oftentimes he wants to play with his sisters 
and that's going to mean playing on their terms. So he has tried to play Barbies with them just because he doesn't want to play by himself. Yep. And it always ends terribly. It always <laughs> ends with him destroying something or blowing something up or killing the pet dog or like something insane. And it's like, it's funny to me that they think they can actually change like the makeup of a, a yeah. boy, you know? Yeah. And I think I, it's funny to me as well that um, the more the more society moves away from God's command to be fruitful and multiply, right? We have more and more adults who are unmarried, um, who are, you know, caught up in the sexual revolution and serial monogamy and all that kind of stuff, who are choosing childlessness, choosing fruit, fruitlessness. And those are the people who are advancing in their careers because they've sacrificed um, a family on the altar of success. And so they're, they're the ones advancing in their their jobs and now they're the ones sitting around the board meeting at Mattel saying hey you know what we really need are gender neutral dolls and mm-hmm. if they had kids at home I think the the uh, the differences between like the binary differences between boys and girls would be more obvious in that boardroom if there are more kids represented in that boardroom do you know what right, I mean yeah and so it, you we've kind of gotten into this weird place where a lot of the culture makers are are people who don't have kids or have aborted their kids because they've sacrificed that for success. And even if they do, you know, we know that the number of kids is going down and down. So maybe they have one boy or they have one girl and they don't mm-hmm. see, because for me, I, I think, you know, we knew biblically, we, anybody who studies the Bible knows biblically that God created a male and female. And there's this binary sense in which he created male and female, very different, different roles, different functions, different urges, different temptations, all that stuff. We know that biblically, but when I became a father, and we had Judah, who's our second. So Judah squished right in between Quinn and Harper as well. Yeah. So he's going to have the same thing. And Get even, ready. <laughs> yeah. Even, even now, like as Colleen's trying to play dolls with Quinn, we have to like come up with a name for Judah. So we pretend he's like the tornado who comes through because you know, the yep. second he comes and gets his hands on things, the Barbies are going to be all over the place. The house is destroyed. You know, whatever game was being played is, is over because tornado Judah just ran through. <laughs> um, but, uh, but you know, you see those things so clearly in your kids and um, that has, I mean, of course we're raising Judah to, um, to be a man, um, but at the age of one, two, three, like this, it, these things are just innate within them. And I think the mm-hmm. more, the, the more people, the more childless people are making cultural decisions, the, the more this is going to kind of be a self-fulfilling prophecy for them, even though it's totally detached from reality. Right. So, um, anything else you want to say about, uh, about gender neutral Barbies, Erica? I mean, it's not really gender neutral Barbies, but I don't know. I don't know how old um, your oldest is. How old is she? Uh, She just turned four. Okay. So she like into Barbies. Is that kind of a new thing for her to really enjoy playing with them? Yeah. Like just this summer, the Barbie thing has exploded for her. She just, she's fascinated with playing like house, right? So it's the dynamic is always mom, daughter, right? And the dynamic is always like, I think it's partially her like, that's a place where she has control. So like when she's playing, when she's playing with us, she'll want Colleen to play the kid so she could play the Mm -hmm. mom and tell tell her what to do. Right. So funny. It it is quite funny. And she'll, you know, you see the discipline, right? Like it it is quite funny where there are a few times where she'll say something like, you know, if you, if you don't, if you disobey me, then you're going to get a spanking. (laughs) Colleen and I'll look at each other (laughs) like, Oh, okay. You better be careful what we say here. Cause it's all going to come out in the, uh, in the doll playing, but yeah. Right. 
So when I was probably, I don't know, around 10 or 11, they came out with Barbie that had a belly button. And I can remember that being like a really big deal that Barbie had a belly button. And then here we are now with transgender Barbies. And I just think it's not really been that terribly long. Right. One generation, we've gone from like belly buttons being so controversial to transgender dolls. It's insane. Right. Well, and it is quite interesting that, I mean, throughout, you know, our lifetime, um, there would have been, you know, so the belly button Barbies. Um, I remember even when it was a big thing, like you think I'm not, I'm not a very old guy. And I remember it was a big thing when suddenly there were more and more, um, non Caucasian Barbies, right. When they mm-hmm. started coming out with, with dark skin Barbies and Hispanic Barbies and things like that. It was like when we were kids, I mean, I wasn't playing with Barbies, but when you were, when you were young, there were probably a lot less colored Barbies than there are now. And then you go into, okay, well, they don't want all the Barbies to be, you know, thin waisted. And so they had some, some that were hippier and some that were bustier and not so busty and all that. It's just interesting to see the evolution where, you know, you called it when you said Mattel's just virtue signaling. Um, they're in, right. they're, they're, they're in it for the money. And so if this is the way culture's going, what's, what's the bottom line, what's going to get their, their Barbies off the shelves. Well, and ultimately kids are going to play with what they want to play with. You can try and, and do whatever you want to do and virtue signal and try and be diverse. And I, some of the diverse Barbies I love, like some of them are really cool and great. But like my brothers, as a joke, bought my daughters the man bun Barbie because they thought it was hilarious. And like legit, my kids won't play with it. They're like, he's just creepy looking. I don't want the guy with the ponytail. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let me ask you this then, uh, because obviously our, our podcast exists to help equip Christians to engage culture. So for the parents who have kids out there, uh, would you advise those parents to go off and, uh, um, you know, boycott Barbies now? Should we should we stop Quinn from playing with Barbies because Mattel is making gender neutral Barbies? I mean, I think Barbie probably had some insidious beginnings. So if you... <laughs> know anything about Barbie, you probably um, would have, I don't know, maybe not bought her (laughs) long ago. Right. But I don't think so. I think parents probably should have a conversation with their kid and many conversations with their kids. Like we're starting a series on fathers of the faith right now. And we're going to start talking about gender, actually, Hmm. about boys and girls and what a godly little boy looks like and what a godly little girl looks like. And I think we need to start playing spot the lie with our kids a whole lot more than we already do, because it's not just Barbie that's um, being used to to share a false gospel with our kids. It's their television. It's their songs that are on the radio. It's everything. It's the little children's books that are being sold to our kids that look so cute and innocent. But then, like, if you look a little further, you can see that they're actually pushing an LGBTQ agenda through a, a... cardboard book you know it's yep it's everywhere so yep. we just need to train our children and disciple our children that you really they really need to just understand god's word and that the world is um teaching them something different than what god would have them do and and follow so yeah i agree and i, I think that starts with parents who are able to spot lies right i mean we're, we mm-hmm. we live in such a consumeristic culture that it's so easy for us to just kind of on autopilot you know, right. uh, watch the commercials that are on, you know, um, 
take subliminally take in the ads on our Facebook walls, you know, uh, drive by the, um, the billboards on our way to, to work and, and kind of take it all in without ever being critical and stopping and, and recognizing what's, what's being taken in by our brains. I think, I think adults need to be more aware of what is being told to them and, and get better at spotting lies. I mean, we, we talk, we've talked a lot about it at rebel Alliance, various movies and stuff that come out and we constantly have people saying, Oh, I, I didn't see that. Or I hadn't put that together. And I think a lot of it has to do with, we go to the movie theater to be entertained and we kind of think we can just turn our mm-hmm. brains off. But the problem is the people making the movies and the people doing the ads, they, they know our brains don't actually turn off. And so right. they're getting their messages in and we need to get better at spotting the lies. So like you said, we can disciple whether it's our kids or, or kids in the church or, or people that we're mentoring. Uh, we need to get better at right. spotting lies in the culture so that we can train others right. to do the same. Well, and I think sometimes Christian parents think that our kids are too young or we don't want them to know about certain topics. Like it's not comfortable to talk about the LGBTQ thing with your kids ever. Yep. Um, but but the fact of the matter is, is that this is the world that we live in and you're going to have to have those conversations with your kids over and over and over again. And depending upon where you live, if you live in a more urban area, you probably really need to have that conversation with your kids because they're already seeing things. And if you don't disciple your child, someone else is going to. Yeah, that's right. That actually reminds me, this wasn't, this, this isn't on my outline, Erica, but, uh, that reminds me of, uh, you, you had sent us, uh, we have like a behind the scenes rebel thread and you'd thrown up some, uh, some of these, I guess I would say they're Christian art pieces, uh, that, that depict, um, parents shielding their kids from kind of the outside world. So you'd have a picture of like a, a, a kind of young, innocent, kind of scared looking child, with a parent who's kind of kneeling in front of them with a shield and kind of absorbing some sort of cannon blow or like, you know, fire missile or like fiery darts or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and so there's all these, this artwork that's showing like, Oh, a praying parent or Oh, a Christian parent is, is shielding their kids from that. And we kind of made the joke that that's not, that's not the biblical model. If you're, if you're to take the instruction of parents out of the Bible, it would look a whole lot different. What, what were some of the things that you, how would you, how would you tweak those? And I'm sure I'm, I'm, I might not be explaining it well, but I'm sure our listeners have seen some of those. Maybe maybe we'll use it as a thumbnail for the episode or something, but uh, (laughs) um, how would you tweak those then, Erica? Because this kind of goes right along with what you're saying in terms of, you know, this is the world we live in. You got to have these conversations with your kids. Well, right. And and children are referred to in scripture as arrows. Right. Like they're not the ones that we should be like protecting and sheltering. They're the ones that we should be sharpening and preparing to be shot out at the enemy. That's right. So it's totally opposite from what those weird little pictures were depicting. Yeah. I think, I think that's, you know, if there's one paradigm shift and I know this, this is why we put out eschatology 201 and stuff like that. But like, if there's one paradigm shift that I think needs to happen in the North American church, it seems like it's, it's the paradigm shift from moving from defense to offense, right? Like everything Christians do Mm -hmm. seems to be that sort of thing. Well, we we're just trying to, you know, protect our children from the fiery world. And we're just, you know, like, you know, stop, make sure that you don't fall off the cliff of the eroding culture around you. And while we wait for Jesus to come back and it's like, that's not the biblical picture that Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Meaning we're the offensive 
force here. Right. The gates of hell are the gates of the defense. We're pushing through and and uh, and taking ground. And I think that's just right. that's just something that all of those kinds of things, all the daily devotionals, like so much of just pop Christian culture depicts Christians as playing defense in a losing battle as opposed to um, the offensive nature that we would all say is as post-millennial is what the New Testament is really teaching. Right. I am for sure not sportsy or athletic. Like it's kind of laughable to even say that. (laughs) But the one thing I do know is that if you are playing any sport and you don't know you're playing offense, you're for sure going to lose. Absolutely. Like you should at least know what you're like trying to accomplish. And if you're playing, you know, defense when you're supposed to be playing offense or vice versa, like it's just going to be a mess. It is going to be a mess. Absolutely. All right, let's switch gears here a little bit. And uh, I always find it um, fun to ask my American friends about Canadian politics. So switching gears, switching gears here, I thought I would ask you whether or not you saw or heard, you know, you know, our, our good buddy, Justin Trudeau, right? Friend of the rebels. Indeed. So Prime Minister of Canada that we often don't have nice things to say about um, was recently involved in a scandal of um, epic proportions. Uh, And by scandal of epic proportions, I'm not referring to uh, his failing the ethics uh, committee and all the other stuff he's actually done that's horrible. No, no, this goes back about 15 years ago to when he donned blackface for a Halloween costume. Have you seen any of this? I have. So Justin Trudeau, blackface uh, scandal. It's, uh, It's the blackface gate up here in Canada. (laughs) <laughs> what did you see about it? What are, what are some of your thoughts? So I haven't seen much, honestly, like at least where the circles I run in on Facebook or social media, like it's been pretty quiet. Um, has it been super like heated up there? Yeah, it has. So, I mean, so this is my thing, right? Uh, I think, I think both our podcasts, our whole network was pretty um, vocal during uh, the height of the me too stuff. Um, mm-hmm. when accusations were flying out and, and there was this, uh, this societal, um, obsession with digging up past, uh, um, mm-hmm. I, I don't even want to say past sins, but past discretions. And it was interesting the way that Justin Trudeau even apologized. He said, uh, something along the lines of, you know, uh, that was wrong then as it's wrong now, even though we look at it differently as we look back to it through the lens of today's culture or something like that. And I thought that was really interesting. I mean, he made a point to say it was wrong then and it's wrong now, even though it's kind of more wrong now. But I think that's the mm-hmm. point is that wouldn't have been offensive 15 years ago like it would have like it offends our culture now. Um, but right. I guess I guess uh, what I was interested in was kind of your thoughts, your thoughts on it and what you had heard, because what, what I was most disappointed in, I mean, this is liberals being liberals, whatever, but what I was most disappointed in is actually the reaction of a lot of Christians, right? Because a lot of Christians who have a lot of biblical reasons to not like Trudeau suddenly got sucked into sort of the liberal game that they were playing and said, oh, this is a great reason to, you know, impeach, impeach Trudeau, get him out of there, like he should resign. And we never would have said that if it was sort of one of our own, bad radio, right. but I'm doing air quotes. If it was one of our own who got caught up in a scandal like that, we would have been saying, oh, you know, people are too sensitive and blah, blah, blah. But when it's against the person we want it to be against, we're for the strategy. So that's kind of mm-hmm. what I, uh, the angle I wanted to take on it. What are your thoughts on that? I think our sins always look worse than other people. 
Yeah. So what I mean by that is like, it, like you were saying, if it's someone in our camp, we're quick to forgive, or if it's us, we're quick to be like, you know, let's just move past it, yep. say your sorries and move on. But because it's someone who is more liberal and someone who is um, standing for women's rights and all that sort of thing, uh, of course, the women that he's like hugging and all up against in that photo too aren't coming up against him claiming sexual harassment or right. whatever else. So it's just hypocrisy. Yeah, and I think I think as Christians we need to be careful as we engage culture because there's going to be a whole lot of tactics employed by sort of the other side. And the other side doesn't always mean the, the political left, right? But in this case, it is. Right. Um, but the other side, the people who are, are employing kind of unbiblical strategies, um, using uh, social justice as opposed to biblical justice, and it's going to be tempting when those weapons, those strategies could work for us. But we have to re- remember as Christians that um, we don't get to say the ends justify the means either, right? God dictates the means and God dictates the ends. And so we have to make sure that we're biblical in our approach to not only the ends we want in our cultural engagement, but also the means by which we engage. Right. In in a in a sort of similar vein to that, um, you know, I've seen a whole lot of Christians who are speaking out against um, the uh, what's the climate change girl's name, Greta something or other. Greta, yeah, Greta something. Yeah, and then there's that the guy from the, you know that boy who's who is part of the high school that got shot up last year. And I've seen a whole lot of Christians on social media who, I mean, very rightly point out um, how horrible it is that the other side would be using children um, to kind of Mm -hmm. um, elicit an emotional reaction um, to advance their political agenda. But we have to be really careful as Christians that we're not mean-spirited in how we're talking about those kids who are being used as political pawns. And I've seen a whole lot of posts that have been um, just very, I mean, violating Ephesians 4 that says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, right? Right. So Yeah. I was actually just listening to Andy Robles talk about loving your enemy and what that looks like, blessing your enemy. And it literally means like not just being very Southern and being like, oh, bless your heart, which is more (laughs) so an insult. It means actually blessing them and doing good, you know, to them and and wanting good for them. Mm -hmm. So I think Christians need to be not weak or impotent, but we need to be skillful and clever and crafty. And, um, and and the whole like children thing is kind of funny to me because the liberal left will be totally okay with killing children or using them to their ends, which kind of goes right back to our public school uh, discussion a little bit earlier. Uh, if you can control the youth, then they're worth keeping around but they're totally okay with doing away and uh, and just getting rid of children altogether through abortion or, or whatnot. So I think sometimes Christians just need to be skillful in how we talk about topics. And like you said, be kind, be gracious, but mm-hmm. be firm in truth. Yeah. Like we don't need to get ugly, especially when it comes to children. Yeah. I mean, I think you and I would both agree. If someone's talking ugly about our children, it brings out a whole different side to us. So uh, absolutely. Just, <laughs> Just be kind when you're discussing. You can talk about the the errors of the children, but be kind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, one last thing, and this is kind of uh, this is kind of Canadian politics as well. But um, I know we there's there's federal elections in the air, both north and south of the border. So um, Canada's conservative leader is a guy named Andrew Scheer. 
Uh, and he just went on record um, on uh, a couple of days ago uh, to say that um, if he was elected, that uh, he would not. So he went a couple months ago, he assured, assured, this is another bad radio air quotes, assured his, his voters um, that he would not be reopening the abortion debate. Uh, that if he was elected, he would not reopen the abortion debate, that that's not something. And when I say abortion debate north of the border, you have to understand we, we don't have laws. There, there are no right. laws, right? So when, when you guys who live in New York were, were uh, seeing the radicalization of your abortion laws in New York uh, under Como and uh, uh, AOC, um, you, you were still getting a better legal system regarding abortion than we have north of the border because there just are no laws. It's completely, uh, completely free between the mother and her physician to do whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want. Um, so there just aren't any laws on the books. And so um, Andrew Scheer uh, said that he wouldn't reopen the abortion debate that um, Canada is fine the way it is. The other interesting thing is that about $350 um, million um, under, uh, was added to the $1.25 billion that uh, Canada spends outside of our own borders to um, provide access to abortion in countries that don't have access to abortion. So not only in Canada do we not have laws, but we pay now about $1.5 billion outside of our borders in order to give abortions to uh, people in more conservative uh, areas of the world or with less uh, access to, air quotes, uh, health care. And Andrew Scheer has now said that he also wouldn't pull back that funding. So um, I just rather than commenting on the Ameri or the Canadian polit political side of things, let's just have a conversation as two Christians who each are going to be voting in upcoming federal elections in different countries with different political leaders who call themselves Christians, who, um, though they might be a little better than the alternative when it comes to abortion, um, have no intentions of um, actually advocating for the unborn. So what are your thoughts as a Christian voter? Where can our votes go in good conscience? Well, I think everyone's conscience might be a little bit different because where my conscience lies might be radical for some. But I don't think that advocating for murder or colonization, which is essentially what um, he's advocating for is like, yep. I'm going to, I'm going to basically make people in these other countries slave to our funding. Yep. Um, in my conscience, I could not vote for someone like that, but I, in the last election, when it came down to basically Hillary or Trump was kind of put in a weird predicament of like, mm -hmm. here's this guy who clearly has moral character flaws and, I mean, he's Donald Trump, so who really knows what's going on <laughs> behind behind the scenes there? But then you look at Hillary Clinton, and it's, I mean, there's nothing good that you could say about that. So I understand the... the um, Lesser of two evils kind of argument. Scary. Yeah, yeah, and then there's people that say, well, you should never vote for any evil. Right. But that's hard for me, too, because, I mean, everyone is sinful. Right. Honestly. Absolutely. So, to some extent, every vote is for someone who is a lesser evil right. than someone else. Because we don't vote for Jesus. He's just king whether we vote for him or not. <laughs> exactly. But, but there is a responsibility that Christians have. And so I don't know what to tell you. <laughs>
<laughs> no, I think that's a tough one. Yeah, it is a tough one. But I think that these are the sorts of questions that I think Christians ought to be wrestling with. And my encouragement to our listeners would be um, be willing to have these conversations in your small groups. Right. Um, when you have, you know, people in the church over for dinner, when you're right. breaking bread with them, when you're in the in the church foyer, enjoying uh, the, the foyer coffee and the little uh, treats that our kids eat far too many of right after church. Um, when you're doing all that stuff, um, have these conversations because I think a lot of this stuff gets gets worked through as iron sharpens iron. As people mm-hmm. are in conversation, God distributes his grace, according to Philippians 4, um, through other people to us. And so I think we should be having these conversations. And I think we... Um, I think gone are the days in in such a divided culture. I think there are some churches and some pockets of Christians who think, okay, the culture is so divided politically. We just don't want that in our churches at all. And so they shy away from talking about politics at all. And I think, um, I think for any of our listeners, we ought to be uh, politically informed and we ought to be having these kinds of conversations because, um, you know, government uh, dictates so much about what goes on in our everyday lives. And we would all right. agree that Jesus is on his throne and uh, he He sets all leaders on their earthly thrones. Um, but at the end of the day, there is a Christian responsibility uh, to be informed and talk about these things. So uh, we would just say, have those conversations, talk about what that means, talk about um, whether or not you think as a Christian, we, we have uh, the... Uh, Christian liberty to vote for for people who won't be advocating for the unborn is is a lesser of two evils vote a good thing or not and I think these are conversations that I would just encourage our listeners to have um, because uh, all of this falls under the realm of Christ's lordship I think you could easily say that because the church hasn't talked about politics for so long that this is why we are in the predicament that we're in as well Absolutely. this is why the best options we have are both not great options because Christians have been scared or been told not to engage in politics. That's right. So I think being uh, involved in your community and trying to be politically, like you said, informed and then just engaging in your community would be a great place to start. So right now, like the situation we're in right now might be kind of a, we're stuck between a rock and a hard place, but perhaps if more Christians start engaging and start getting involved, the next cycle might be different, might look a whole lot different. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's quite interesting and one of the things we're seeing north of the border is there's a there's kind of a, a separate party um, with another uh, kind of equally immoral guy uh, named Maxim Bernier who started the People's Party of Canada with a, a bit more of a libertarian agenda. And there's no mm. way he's going to win this election. Um, I don't think there's any way he'll get more than a few seats in Quebec. But um, what's interesting is that just having his presence there in the election has pushed the conservatives a little bit more to the right. And I think that a lot of Christians think that, hey, if we get involved, you know, there's no place for us or there's right. we're not going to get elected anyway. A lot of this has to do, just do with being a faithful presence in a very dark environment um, does do something, right? If right. we if we actually believe that it's not it's not our efforts that change things, but God adding fruit to our faithful efforts, then um, it doesn't matter whether or not you think you're going to win. God will take care of the fruit. Your job is just to be faithful. And one of the things you're right. absolutely right: the church has not been faithful at taking uh, the lordship of Christ into the political realm for t- far too long. I think because we've been playing defense instead of offense, we haven't had a vision for what the gospel can do in the political realm. And, uh, and I think that's to our shame. Right. So, all right. Um, anything going on in uh, New York that you want to tell me about? 
How's, uh, how's life down there? What's, what's word on the street, Erica? I don't know because I stay off the street. (laughs) (laughs) No, I really have no idea. All kinds of licentious acts, I'm sure. (laughs) Well, it's a good thing you're homeschooling those kids to grow up to be culture makers. Um, Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for uh, participating in Rebel News. Thanks for the uh, the host swap idea. It's been uh, it's been a joy having you on. Awesome. Thanks for having me. And if you ever want to get one of your own Dave Wetlaufers, um, because as you saw, I mean, just logging on and having a conversation while somebody else deals with the the audio, um, just just you know, you got to pray for your own wetsy it's because glorious. yeah, it yeah. is. It's a it's a good thing. So, all right, I'm gonna well, need a bigger closet for that though. <laughs> that's right. Um, so, Awakening Reformation podcast drops every Tuesday on the Rebel Alliance uh, Media Network and Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids coming back starting in October Mm -hmm. um, each Monday. And you said you're starting a new series on what it means to be uh, a godly boy, what it means to be a godly girl, and uh, tackling the very difficult topic of gender with your kids. So today's Rebel News was uh, relevant, and uh, everybody with kids should check out Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids. Sounds great. (laughs) All right. Have a great day, Erica. Thanks for joining me. Thanks.